That's what my wife's for. Okay. Because um, we have different approaches on debt, she and I. Um, really glad that you're here. Um, like Slayton said, I hope that you find RUF to be a place of profound rest for you in a place that maybe doesn't always provide a lot of rest. Um, we would love for RUF to be a place of belonging for you, a place of grace and forgiveness and new life, kind of no matter where you are in your time at Wake or in your spiritual journey. You are welcome to come to anything RUF related as often or as infrequently as you like. There is no sense of like, well, you come more often so you're more part of the in crowd. Um, we just love, uh, love it when you're here. And if you want to be the person that sneaks in like 10 minutes in and sneaks out five minutes before it's over, you're very, very welcome to do that. And we're really glad that you're here. Um, and because we, we want RUF to be a place of grace and rest because we take Jesus seriously here at RUF and we talk about Jesus a lot. And that may feel like the problem. Because um, I think if we're honest, <laughs> uh, when we come to a place that talks, and we talk about Jesus a lot, it makes us all feel a little bit uncomfortable. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable and I'm the one talking right now. Uh, I saw a hand in the back and maybe it was making Ian feel uncomfortable as well. Um, Because maybe you grew up in church and you've come to college and you're like, I'm probably not going to keep doing what I was doing uh, with the whole church thing. I'm not really sure where I land with that. It makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm actually not totally sure why I'm here tonight. That might be you. Um, Maybe you didn't grow up going to church. That was me. I never went to church until I was an adult. Um, But you know a lot of what has been done in the name of Jesus and a lot of what people who follow Jesus do in the world. And you're like, that makes me feel a little bit yucky. And so I feel a little bit complicit coming to the Jesus meeting tonight. And that's okay. Not same. Um, Or maybe you love RUF and you love Jesus and you're really happy about this, but you're like, if my other friends that I knew out in the world knew I was really into this, they probably wouldn't want me to come hang out at their tailgate on Thursday night, which I, you can hang out with me at a tailgate on Thursday night if that's you, because um, I will be there and I'm so pumped about it. Um, I think that if we're honest, we all feel a little bit weird coming to a place where we talk about Jesus because it doesn't really happen in other parts of our life on campus. And y'all, Jesus has been misused and misunderstood for a long, long time and by a lot of people. Um, but what we have when we come to the scripture is these things called Gospels. And what the Gospels are, there are four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And they can give us a real picture of who he is. Despite everything that we know about what everyone does with Jesus' name, we can come and find who he really is in this. And Jesus is, of course, someone who is very wise, full of love, someone that's very historically important. But Jesus is also a person who has changed the world so dramatically that it affects your life, uh, whether you are interested in Jesus tonight or not. So tonight what I want to do is I want to look at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark with you. Um, there's a, there's a, a passage in the, in the handout and also on the screen. I'm going to start a little bit before that. What the Gospel of Mark is, maybe you've heard of a guy named Peter. He was one of Jesus' best friends. 
And what Mark did was he listened to all Peter's stories about Jesus, and then he wrote them down in his gospel. So I want to give us a moment of silence to settle before we get started. So just take a moment, allow your soul to settle like a pebble falling to the bottom of a still pool. Lord Jesus, I thank you um, for a moment of shared space with one another where we don't have to achieve anything. And Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through this word. I thank you for these sisters and brothers who are gathered, each with their own story, and I with mine. And Lord, I pray that you would meet with us now as we hear your word. Um, what your word says is that it is alive and that you are working through it. So we pray that you would do that in each of our hearts, no matter where where we come from tonight. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So this is what Mark writes in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. We're going to focus on the section that's on the screen. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed, John's uh, outfit of the day, was with camel's hair, it's coming back in, I think, wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Amen. Lord, may you bless uh, the reading and hearing of your word. Uh, My wife sent me a, a Pinterest article because I didn't just find it on my own. She sent it to me. Um, She always finds the most amazing thing on Pinterest, and I don't ever see anything on Pinterest but uh, paint colors. But she sent me this uh, Pinterest thing that said, seven brilliant ways to begin a presentation. Some of you may be making a presentation very soon, so this would be the time to take a note. Seven brilliant ways to begin a presentation. Tell a captivating story. Ask a rhetorical, thought-provoking question. State a shocking statistic or headline. Use a powerful quote. Show a gripping photo. Use a prop or visual aid, which is what I did with the mug with Slayton. Nailed it. Uh, Or play a short video. 
And if you do all seven of those in consecutive order, you have just given a TED Talk, and you're probably very famous. That's how a seven brilliant ways to begin a presentation. What we have in this passage is Jesus beginning his presentation to the world, his public life, his first act out on the scene of what is called his public ministry. And the first thing that he does is he goes to a backwater. Like we think about the Jordan River being like probably something mighty. It is not. It's a very small, insignificant body of water out in, in, the, in the cut. And he gets baptized by his cousin, John. And why is it the case that the first thing that Jesus does when he begins his public life in the world is he goes down to the Jordan to get ritually cleansed by this guy, John. Now, when this passage says that Jesus was baptized, you may be familiar with baptism. Maybe you grew up, you are baptized yourself, you were baptized in your church, you've seen people get baptized on TV. It's a little bit different what's happening in this passage. What John is doing, it says, is he's baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What that means is that everyone was coming out to John, and the reason why they were coming out to him is because they were acknowledging that they were immoral. They were acknowledging that they needed to be cleansed by God. And everyone that saw this group of people going out would say, yes, these are exactly the people who need to be ritually cleansed, that are not on the right side of history. These were not good, presentable people. They were coming out to acknowledge that there was something that was unclean about them, and they needed to confess it before God and receive this cleansing. It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And I wonder if you ever wonder what is wrong with the world. Because truly it seems like the world has a lot of potential that is remaining untapped at present. Um, why can't we seem to love one another well? Why does it seem so hard for us to do justice, like as individuals or as governments and society and societies? Why does it seem so difficult to love mercy or to care for the environment or to steward our power well? The Bible calls that problem sin. And one of the ways that the Bible talks about sin is that it makes everyone and everything unclean. It makes everyone dirty. And until Jesus came, if you read the rest of the Bible up to this point, God's people were obsessed with staying clean was staying ritually clean and morally clean. Uh, when I think about something being unclean and needing to be cleansed, I remember going down to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, which for most of you did not happen in your lifetime, I just realized today. It made me feel super old. Um, but I went down to New Orleans, and during Hurricane Katrina, there was obviously a lot of destruction because of wind, but there was a ton of flooding. The levees um, malfunctioned in New Orleans. And these big, beautiful, grand homes were underwater. And when the water receded, at first, everything looked like it was kind of okay. But after about three or four days, if you've ever been to New Orleans, it's pretty hot, pretty, pretty muggy. You would walk into a home, and every square inch of the home would be covered with mold. 
you would open, the, I remember we would, went down to New Orleans to do some hurricane relief, you would open cabinets full of mold, mattresses full of mold, the floors, the walls, the ceiling, everything was covered with mold. Everything had to be ripped out. It was way, way, way beyond any kind of surface cleaning. And part of what the Bible tells us is that the world is like a beautiful New Orleans home that is just shot through with mold. And in some ways, so are we. We are people of amazing potential that there seems to be something that clings to us. So when Jesus comes out, and the first thing that he does is go down to this river, he's identifying himself as someone who is unclean. As someone who needs to be cleansed. By entering the water, what he's saying is that there's something about me on the inside that needs to be washed away by God. The problem is, what makes this interesting, is that Jesus didn't have sin. Jesus didn't have anything that was clinging to him. He was morally pure. He was the radiance of pure light. And the reason why he goes down into this water is what is written later in Mark chapter 10. That the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And 2 Corinthians 5 says that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is coming into the world, and his first act is to say, I want to be associated as a morally unclean person. I'm taking that upon myself. He becomes a sinner. He becomes filthy. And, you know, I, I, I often want to convince myself that everything is beautiful and nothing hurts. And it's been actually easier to believe that everything is beautiful and nothing hurts being on this campus the last two weeks because it is an extremely beautiful place. I had my first mag room experience today. Wow. Incredible. Uh, churro cupcakes for dessert. Very good. Very good. We spend a lot of time trying to convince ourselves that everything is beautiful and nothing hurts until things start crashing in on us. My um, seventh grade teacher, one of my seventh grade teachers, um, before she was a teacher, she was Donald Duck at Walt Disney World. And there are certain rules if you are a character at Walt Disney World. Chief among them being you are never allowed to break character while you are on the job. Okay. No matter what. So one time she was Donald Duck with the big head, you know. And she didn't have a big head. She was wearing a big Donald Duck head. And she was dancing. And she stepped off the stage she was dancing on into a fountain. And she found herself parallel in the fountain. And the big head was half full of water. And she was trying to keep her head up out of the water. Um, but she could not take the head off, nor could she take any part of the costume off, or she would have been immediately fired. Okay. So there she is trying to stay above the water and try to pretend like everything's okay, and Donald is just kind of doing like a, you know, he's a duck after all. Um, <laughs> and he's down in the water. She was eventually rescued and kept her job. But interestingly, if she had died in, in, on the job, you are not allowed to die in Disney World. 
It's impossible to die in Disney World. If you die within the park, they will remove you from the park and then pronounce you legally deceased outside the park so that you have not technically died in Disney World. You can't die at Disney, which is why I love going to Disney. Because I don't want to die. We, we spend a lot of effort, I think, in that, in that Donald Duck head, just trying to stay out of the water and keep the facade together that the magic is real. And if there was ever anyone who was, it's pro-humanitate, right? Am I saying that right? Okay, all right, good. Feel good about that. If there was anyone who was ever pro-humanitate, it was Jesus. Because what Jesus does is he doesn't avoid our contagious mess, the mold inside our home or inside of our world. He doesn't tell us that we have to keep everything together. What he does is he willingly takes our filth on him so that he can purify us. So that we can be rescued from the contagious disease within us and around the world that keeps us unclean. I one time um, was talking at RUF. I used to be a campus minister at Appalachian. And a uh, sophomore came in. I had never seen her before. And um, afterwards, she came up and talked to me. And she was like, I need to meet tomorrow. Can you meet before 9 a.m.? And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. And we sat down, and she said, um, you were saying last night that Jesus makes people clean. And I need you to tell me more about that because I feel filthy and I haven't been sure whether there's anything I could ever do about that. What Jesus is showing us in this passage is he actually enters into the waters of our filth and takes it on himself so that he can cleanse us. And I love how God the Father responds. My daughter has a watch. She started, um, that's the story, my daughter has a watch. Let's pray. Um, she started sixth grade yesterday. And she's doing great, by the way. She's crushing middle school so far. Um, But she has a watch that I can text her on the watch. And I love it now. She's two days into school because in the middle of the school day, while she is in the most unsafe environment for an 11-year-old girl that exists on the planet, which is called sixth grade, um, I can text her and say, I love you. And she gets it in class within that. When Jesus steps down into this water and he allows himself to be baptized, look look at the response from God right there at the end of the passage. The heavens are torn open. The spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and a voice comes from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God, the father's response to Jesus making himself a sinner is to be pleased and to say, I'm so proud of you. And what you have done. And he said it not just to Jesus, but out loud so that everyone could hear it. Because what God loves is entering into our story, into our dirty uncleanness and taking it on himself. It brings him delight. He wanted everyone to know how pleased he was with his son becoming unclean. Do you ever remember your parent being happy that you got dirty? I have never been happy that any of my children ever got dirty. And yet, God the Father is thrilled about it. And God the Holy Spirit shows up like this pure, gentle dove 
And maybe this is one of those things about Christianity where you're like, yeah, that's also a little bit weird. Why? There's, it's like there's three gods, but there's one God, and you keep saying it's both. And that doesn't make sense. Because God reveals himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, as one God in three persons. And if you're trying to understand that, it's, it's hard to understand. But think about it this way. If you are by yourself for too long, it's not good, right? If you're just isolated, it's not good for you for too long. But if you lose yourself within your friend group or your sorority or whatever, and you lose what it means to be you in that for too long, it's not good either, right? Because God made you both as an individual and a member of a community because God is both a one and a many. The Father and the Spirit come out celebrating because Jesus takes on our filth. And the question for us, if this is true, I actually have two questions. First is, what is your threshold for other people's messiness? Um, Are there places that you are afraid to enter into on campus because you don't want the mess? Because it's going to make your life messy, how you're going to be perceived, or you're just like, I just can't even deal with that. Um, If there are places that are hard for you to enter into on campus because they feel too messy, I would love to introduce you to Jesus. Because what he can do is he can take that fear of being contaminated morally and he can replace it with love for the people that you fear will contaminate you morally. And so what he invites you to do is when it says this is a baptism of repentance, what that word repentance simply means is to turn around. It's to turn away from from that which is destructive for you and others and to turn toward God. So if there are places that you don't want to go because you're afraid of the mess, Jesus invites you to turn from that good, clean, hazmat suit of a life and to turn to him. And I have a question for some of the rest of us. Um, Are you afraid for people to know just how much of a mess your life has become? Um, maybe over the summer, maybe over the first week and a half of your time in college, maybe over the last three years. I would also like to introduce you to Jesus, who loves to enter into the mess of our lives and to grant us clean hearts. Uh, Last night at the Freshman Fellowship Cookout, I met uh, my man Ahmed, who is the president of the Poetry Club, and who Jack introduced me to because they lived in the same hall, right? He's an RA in the dorm that I don't know the name of yet. And um, Ahmed is the president of the Poetry Club, which meets on Monday nights in the Women's Center. Highly recommend. And me and Ahmed started talking about uh, musicians that we like and songwriters that we like. And uh, I was really surprised because my man's from Bahrain, and we were just talking about Bob Dylan, we were talking about Leonard Cohen, we were talking about John Prine, it's glorious. But he told me about a great Leonard Cohen song last night called Anthem. What's ironic about this song is that it took 10 years to write. Because the refrain goes like this. Ring the bells that can still ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. 
Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Thanks to Ahmed for that. Jesus doesn't need you to pretend. Uh, He doesn't need you to look the part. He doesn't need you to cover up the cracks. He doesn't need you to come into a space like this and pretend like other parts of you don't exist. Um, If being purified sounds impossible to you, to feeling clean before God and others feels impossible to you, it's not. If God can become filthy, then he can make you clean. That's good news for us. So what I want to invite you to do this week, the sermon's over. Um, What I want to invite you to do this week is um, to think about, especially when you wake up in the morning and when you're going to bed at night, um, consider your day before you or the day behind you in terms of Um, did I feel clean in my soul? And then to consider Jesus identifying himself as a sinner uh, to make you clean. And just ask him to meet you in that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, your kindness to us. Thank you that you are gentle. Thank you that you can remove what feels just icky in us. And thank you that you set us free from trying to convince people around us that we're something that we're not. Or would you help us to embrace where there feels like there's cracks in our life right now? To see them as invitations to your light. And Lord, I pray for rest for my sisters and brothers here tonight. That they would find uh, rest in you. They would find hope in you. And Lord, that they would find um, the possibility of a heart that is washed clean before you. Lord Jesus, because of your death and because of your resurrection. I pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So let's stand up and sing a song.